0: Before we start, I'd just like to say that this week's interview did have a few problems with background noise. Um, I apologise for that and I really hope it doesn't affect your enjoyment of the episode. Hi, so I get asked a lot of questions about shipping and I thought it was really about time that we spoke to an expert about this. So today I have Simon Arnold from Unity Logistics answering all your and mine, if I'm honest, shipping questions. Unity Logistics are a UK-based freight forwarding company specialising in shipping goods internationally to and from the UK, including importing and delivering goods directly to Amazon warehouses in the UK or wherever required on behalf of sellers. So this is a great introduction to all things shipping. Even if you've been in business for a while, maybe you're already selling your own products, maybe you've already managed a couple of shipments. I still think there's something to learn here I certainly learned a few things from this conversation and I've um, definitely been doing this a while Um, We cover a lot of ground so it might be an idea to take some notes or perhaps um, you might need to listen to this episode more than once um, because it is quite detailed and there's also a blog post for this episode which you can get at blog.tinychipmunk.com if you prefer to be able to go and refer to that as well So I won't make you wait any longer Here's Simon so, hi, Simon. Thanks so much for being here. Uh, hello. Hi. So, can you start by please telling us about yourself and your business?
1: Yeah. So, um, I, I own a small freight forwarding company called Unity Logistics. Um, um, what we do is we basically help people to arrange shipments um, to and from wherever around the world. But we specialise really in, in shipments that are to or from the, the UK. Uh, and whatever people need we, we look for solutions basically.
0: Perfect thank you and I've invited you here today to talk about shipping which is a massive subject I know and so we're going to keep this conversation really aimed at absolute beginners the people who are perhaps working on what you know their first or maybe second shipment um, or perhaps aren't even there yet but would like to know a bit more about the process. So first of all I guess it's good if we can clarify so what do we mean when we talk about shipping?
1: I guess most people will come to this or to this point if they're new and starting out when they have an idea about what they want to sell they they found, maybe they found a product that they want to sell um, and they they found they found someone they can buy the goods from and then that it's the next point in the chain. okay, so now I've found a supplier and now I've found what product I want to buy, and i I'm gonna start finalizing things on that front how am I actually going to get these goods to where I need them to go? Um, and there's quite, a lot of, there's quite a lot of processes that actually take place within the international shipments. And I think this is where some people become a little bit confused and unstuck, where there's not actually a lot of information out there. Um, but a lot of people do then tend to rely on, on someone like ourselves a Freight Forward to, to take care of it for them. Yeah,
0: thank you. And absolutely, there's definitely a lot that goes into it. And I thought the first thing we might talk about, if that's okay, because I think it makes sense is that is the Inco terms, um, and what that means and what they are. So I know that say, let's say you're sourcing from abroad, generally, you'll get quoted either x works or fees on board by your supplier. That's certainly been my experience. Can you talk a little bit about the difference between these these two terms for people who you know might have seen this on their quote for example but don't actually understand what it means
1: okay yeah so very simply the the inco terms it's an abbreviation international commercial terms and they're they're basically set out as a a legal basis so that you as the presumably the buyer and your supplier as the seller you can distinguish um, very black and white, who is responsible for what aspects of the shipping process? Whose who's risk is it at which parts in the shipping process and who is also paying for which costs in the shipping process? If you If you were to expand it out, um, XWorks is like one end of the spectrum where the buyer is responsible for absolutely everything door-to-door all the risks all the costs um no exceptions fob
0: sorry and for x works does that is that from the moment the goods leave the factory so they leave the factory door yeah thank you
1: even the extent of um if if you agreed the terms x works with your supplier even from the point that your supplier is loading those goods onto a collection vehicle. You, as the buyer, are responsible should something happen to those goods at that point in time.
0: Oh, really? It's very
1: unlikely. Yeah, it's very unlikely, um, but that is strictly speaking what what the point at which you would become responsible. Um, FOB, FOB is somewhere a little more in the middle where the the seller your supplier would be responsible for submitting the export customs clearance in china presumably or whatever country the goods are coming from and they're also responsible for delivering the goods um to the the port of exports which you would presumably have pre-agreed with them Uh, and when we say port in most cases we we possibly don't mean a physical port but instead probably a warehouse uh, in the vicinity of that port, where maybe they all collate goods to consolidate to ship them all off together before before they reach the port of export.
0: Okay, that makes sense. And from that warehouse, the freight forwarder would be would then be the one responsible for, not necessarily resp- accountable, but responsible for taking those goods and moving them to wherever they need to go. Is that how it works?
1: Yeah, essentially. So it's um, with the FOB shipments. How it typically works is. We, we would instruct our, our agent in the, in the country the goods are coming from and say, look, there's a shipment. It should be ready to go around this date. The, the buyer and seller have agreed the terms FOB uh, and this port. Can you, can you get in touch with the supplier? Just check the details, check with them when it's ready, and then tell them where they need to deliver the goods to and by what date. Um, and then we will pick it up from there on if you like. So once the suppliers deliver the stuff to our agents' warehouse, then we'll oversee it from there on. That's that's generally how how it works. But the it, that's where the costs transfer and the risks transfer over to the the buyer should something happen to those goods during transit.
0: Thank you. And also as um, if you're when you're the buyer of the products, I think it's also where people knowing that depending on what terms your supplier quotes you on, they'll give you a different price as well. Because generally, if you ask for X work terms, they're slightly cheaper. It might not be much, but in general, the prices will differ. Not Uh, for the shipping, but for the product itself.
1: The only thing I think that happens there really is if, if they can quote you a cheaper price because they're not paying for any shipping costs, but rather than itemize it out... I think what they tend to do is they'll they'll factor in a cost. If they give you like an FOB price, they'll say, look, it's more expensive for the product, but they're building in a cost into that for the cost that it's going to, that they will incur for submitting the, the customs clearance for yeah. delivering the goods to the port.
0: Absolutely. I just wanted to make that clear for people, because if you're getting quotes from multiple suppliers, you just want to be sure that all of them are quoting you on the same terms, because otherwise you're not really comparing like like for like. So I just wanted to highlight that for people. And are those the only terms available or are they just the most common ones?
1: Uh, They're two of the most common ones. There are are other terms. Um, Just this year, there's been a new batch released. Every 10 years, the International Chamber of Commerce will update them. But typically, they only make minor changes. Those are two of the most common ones. Um, The other one you come across a lot of the time is DDP. Which is the opposite end to X Works? It's the complete opposite, where now the seller uh, of the goods is responsible for absolutely everything, door to door. Instead, um, a lot of people take this option initially because they think it's the easy option, um, but there are risks and drawbacks associated with that, that term. Um, but there are there are other ones, each with their own each with their own merits and risks. But the the safer ones, I would say, for new people starting out would be either the XWorks or the FOB.
0: Thank you. And um, we'll come into DDP. We'll talk about that a little bit more in a moment because I know that when we've spoken before this interview, you've mentioned that might not always be the best option for people. But when it comes to XWorks and FOB, um, do you have any thoughts on, you know, which might be best for someone starting out first shipment? You know, or or is there not Um, much in it?
1: probably not much in it it probably comes down to preference some some suppliers will have a preference so maybe they're happy they're more happy to agree to one term than the other they might have their own reasons that they don't wish to agree to a certain term um but there's there's really not too much in it um makes no odds to us certainly i mean we we really just act on on the instruction of what what a buyer has agreed with their seller um but there's really not much in it if it if it's if it's x works essentially you, you could go to a freight forwarder and say look can you just quote me all the costs door to door and that's quite often what happens um and if it's fob it's well, look we've agreed fob shanghai port terms can you just quote me all the costs from shanghai port to, to door in the uk or or wherever
0: thank you and um it looks like depending on which terms you choose different people are liable for different costs So, for example if you use fob the seller is liable for paying the export fees so who pays the fees the various fees and and when i think is something that yeah. people would need to okay. know okay um
1: well ultimately as the buyer you will be paying all of the fees um the dis- the distinction is where those how those fees are split. So if you imagine that, if you imagine that a door-to-door shipment hypothetically costs £500, um, so whether the seller arranges that or the buyer arranges that, you imagine that, give or take a little bit of fluctuation, you imagine that's the, like a true cost. Um, if you agreed something in the middle, let's say FOB, then maybe the maybe the seller of the goods will incur £150, Maybe the buyer will then incur sort of £350 from their side from their freight forwarder. But the the seller of the goods is going to charge that £150 onto the buyer. They'll include it in their in their costings when they when they quote an XWorks price or an FOB price. They'll account they'll account for some of that cost. So you've got two, you've potentially got two different payment terms. And most in most cases the sellers will will want payment up front before they release the goods. So when you pay for the goods, you then also pay for any aspects of the shipping price that they are covering. But we, as a company, on the imports, we tend to charge our freight charges when the freight arrives or around the time the freight arrives into the, into the country.
0: Perfect. Thank you. So it looks like whatever, whatever terms you agree on, you're going to be paying roughly the same amount for the shipping. It just might, you know, it's who you're paying it to that will differ. But the amount yeah. should be roughly the
1: same. Yes, you should be. You should be. If if people are doing if people are doing things properly, then there should be a true cost, and there shouldn't be too much fluctuation in that price. But we do find sometimes they don't do things properly, and the charges become a bit distorted, and it can look all of a sudden like they're charging a much cheaper rate initially. Maybe it will work out more expensive in the in the long run, or maybe they're doing something fraudulent. Okay, so, so what that,
0: would an example of, of that be? And how can can people is this something we can look out for
1: yeah so the key thing is for people to really do their diligence and get a you get a feel from speaking to people how sort of genuine and honest they are about doing business I mean this is you're trying to do diligence on people in say China it's very it's very difficult other than speaking to them and getting a feel for their response do they answer your questions do they answer them thoroughly to your satisfaction are they sort of skirting around things? Are they leave? Do you have a couple of question marks? Just a bit of a feeling that I'm not quite sure what they're saying makes sense. It doesn't. Something doesn't tie up. in most cases, probably, probably because something something doesn't. Um, but DDP is one of these that it, it comes up all the time. But it it can be a real trap for people because. the the seller can essentially hide what they're doing with the paperwork and in doing that they can under declare the value of goods um, or they could misdeclare them or they could perhaps ship them in, in a way that they're not supposed to maybe they amalgamate your shipment with other people's shipments onto a single set of documents which they're not supposed to which they're not supposed to do but because you can't see what's going on they could be taking huge shortcuts that save costs but could come back as a risk to you later on
0: that's really interesting thank you and I know that lots of people do um including myself for the first shipment I ever did I used EDP because I was just a little bit unsure about shipping it seemed scary and it seemed easier for someone to handle the whole process but what I quickly realized is that in doing that I had no control over the process because I couldn't track my shipment I didn't really know where it was and I was just relying on the supplier Telling me what has happened, Um, and there were huge delays, and I had just to take their word for why there was a delay. And be ultimately, I don't really know what actually happened. And as you say, you don't really know what's been declared at customs if you've paid the right amount of tax. And I'm assuming this all can come back on you at some point down the line.
1: Yeah, yeah, and that's basically it. I mean, in in the short term, most people will be fine. It's, It's very unlikely, really, that it would ever come back to you, but. If it did, the cost of that or the risks of that could be quite severe. So, I mean, HMRC could turn up on your doorstep in four or five years' time and request to see audit trails and documents. Okay, you've been importing this product. Let's see your paperwork. Let's see your paperwork trail. Let's see your customs documents. Maybe you go back to your supplier's even even for recent shipments and then say well can I? Can you send me the customs documents in more often most cases or more often than not when people will ship on DDP terms these customs documents never present themselves they always sort of seem to find a reason to not give you them but then customs have a right to say well brought this stuff in you can't prove that you've paid the tax on it so we are going to charge you the tax on it now they could come back for it retrospectively or maybe they sort of deem that the, what you've paid for the products and the price that's been declared to customs at two different prices so maybe they could also think that you've underpaid tax or that the chinese have under declared it underpaid tax but it might be you that they come to, to to foot that bill
0: yeah i mean i assume they don't really care who's underpaid or who hasn't paid ultimately if you're you know if it's your product your name's on it it's going to be you they come to for any money they feel they're owed
1: yeah um that's basically it. But it's a it gets into a bit of a minefield and a bit of a grey area because because you can't see what has been declared on the customs documents. If you can't see what's been declared, you don't you've just got no idea what they've done. You don't know what information they've put on the customs entry and you don't know how that might or might not look to customs if they were ever to to check it through. But certainly if, if they came to you and said, well, can you produce some kind of an audit trail or some kind of customs documents? and And you said, no, I haven't haven't got any they wouldn't take very kindly to it and um, because you're obliged to as, as an importer you're bringing stuff into the country you're obliged to keep level of records for compliance if sometimes what what will happen is the goods will be declared against another importer's details in which case you could argue well maybe that would never come back to me but you can't know that with with certainty because it, something could in some way be tied back to you. I mean, if the stuff's been delivered to you, maybe it's been put through on another company's import registration number. Again, that's something that they wouldn't take kindly to. They, d- they don't take ignorance as an excuse for it. They, they expect you to know what's going on and that it's been done properly. It's just that DDP one, really. If um, I think any other inco term, then at least you get transparency over those customs documents. And you can see, and if you've got a query, you can ask, you can say, well, what does this mean? What does that mean? Or you could do your own research on, on the, the information that's in there. And you can just come to an understanding or, or speak to someone or a freight forwarder. I'd, I'd be more than happy to answer questions about it. It's not the easiest topic. It's not the most interesting either. And a lot of people kind of just want to get on with doing what they're good at. I guess that's kind of where where we come in because we're like that outsourced logistics where you've got a logistics question you can ask us and we'll we'll give you our advice or our opinion. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't want people to feel too bogged down by it necessarily it's not anything to be afraid of it's just about being diligent and if you can avoid some simple errors and mistakes that sometimes people make at the beginning it should make your life a lot easier in that in the long run.
0: Thank you so as well as maybe perhaps choosing DDP shipping or maybe not getting a hold of the customs documents what are some of the other areas that you see people making when they're Bear starting out with this
1: there's another in term that there's a bit of a snag with the sea freight shipments which is is cfr or cif but essentially when they let the the seller of the goods ship them up to the uk port only that sometimes catches people out because they could charge you they could charge you a very low price but what they haven't told you is what charges you're going to be landed with when the stuff arrives into the UK. But by the time that they've got your goods into their control, you then have no no wiggle room or argument with them over what costs will be charged when the freight does arrive into the into the country. So there'd be a there'd be a UK agent who's assigned to take control of the goods once it arrives and they could literally just sort of turn up to you and say I've got your stuff and this is how much it's going to be to release it, that's when people sometimes get stung. Because yes, they've only paid £100 or £50 or whatever to get the stuff to the UK. Then the stuff arrives and the UK agent says, OK, it's going to be £700 to release it. And now you've overpaid. Because had you have shipped it door to door, it might have been cheaper, much cheaper than just just what you've been charged on the UK charges. That, yeah, so that's one that people... People sometimes get caught out with and that's what that's another reason why the x works and the fob are so good because you you have control over those costs there's no those costs are already predetermined you know what they are and there isn't an opportunity anywhere for anyone to to hit you with extra fees or extra illegitimate fees
0: so in terms of extra fees so, i mean i assume there are well i know there are legitimate fees you need to pay when your goods reach the uk but let's talk about shipping to the uk as an example so what are those costs so what are the things that you would have to pay once your goods get off the boat or the plane and arrive in the UK. And I know we can't talk about the actual costs, but what are the fees that people need to just be aware of?
1: It depends I mean if if you've got a price that's door to door or FOB, those costs are all sort of included. But what we quite often do is bundle lots of small costs into into one to keep it simple for people. But really that is obviously made up of you break it out, there's lots of small costs involved. It depends what level of detail you want to go into it really. But in, in essence, once the goods arrive, there's, there's some handling costs of getting that container off the vessel. There's some documentation fees. There's some handling fees. If it's, if it's a groupage shipment, there's a, there's a few more handling fees because a company has got to physically take your stuff out of a container, probably palletize it. And then there's a, like an onward delivery fee. To wherever you want the goods to go, and an import customs clearance fee, and whatever taxes that might need to be paid.
0: Thank you. But if you are using a freight forwarder to move your goods, presumably you're going to get one cost that with all of these fees included.
1: Yeah, that, that's generally how it how it works. And then there's there's a few main optional extras. So maybe maybe people need a tail lift delivery, or maybe people want insurance on the shipment. So we would usually sort of give one bundled in cost. And then say, look, if, if you do want insurance, it's this much extra. If you do need a tail lift delivery, it's this much extra. And you can add those on as you need.
0: Sure, And is insurance something you recommend people take out?
1: 100%. 100%. If something happened and you don't have an insurance policy, what you'd be entitled to claim against what your losses were would be very little. But if you have the insurance, you could claim up to the full value of the of the loss.
0: OK, um, thank you. And what does that insurance cover you for?
1: The insurance it will cover for pretty much anything that could happen in transit. The main thing it doesn't cover is insufficient packaging. If the goods have just not been suitably packed at all, and that's the reason that they've become damaged. And consequential loss, which is just loss caused by delay because we nobody has any control over what might happen with delays so you're sort of sort of contracting to say yes the goods will get from a to b this is the estimated transit time but there are things that can affect that transit time during transit that we we, we can't foresee Thank you. So, yeah, there's no yeah no covered
0: for that. So coming back to DDP, um, I, I think a lot of the reason people choose that is because, as we said, you know, it's, it's a it's a big topic. It can be a scary topic. Um, sometimes people don't want to learn about it. But it sounds like if you work with a freight forwarder, then all of the, you know, you'll get one price. Everything will be included. But I guess the thing that wouldn't be if you were to choose, say, FOB or XWorks is import charges, VAT, things like that. So are those the only two um, additional costs you would face if you were, let's say you're shipping on FOB terms and you've got a freight forwarder and you're paying them a a door-to-door price, how would it work with the import charges and VAT? So who would pay that and how how could you even find out what those costs would be
1: for the import taxes yeah. what the cost would be on the import taxes so i think this is it's that the big drawback of ddp is that it in, because it, it includes the import taxes in that cost creates like a blurry a blurry figure you don't really know what's in there but it's much more straightforward if people can keep the import taxes as something that's very very separate to the shipping costs so treat it as two costs you are like I've got a cost for my shipping and then I've got a cost for my import taxes. How how do I know or how can I calculate what my import taxes are going to be before the stuff arrives because obviously people need to know and the starting point is to to find out what the commodity code for your products are and if you don't know where to start with that the best place is your supplier you just ask them what is the what is the commodity code for the goods and it'll be a, it should be a 10 digit code and then you can look it up on the um, commodity code database and it will tell you what the VAT and duty tax rates are. And once you know that, then you can calculate very quickly, very roughly what the import VAT and duty will be on your goods. Very roughly, it's a percentage of the the cost of the shipping plus the value of your goods the cost price
0: perfect thank you and in terms of getting that paid so how does that work so let's say you are you, you're using fees on, fee on fees on board and you've got a freight forwarder so you're using fob terms you have a freight forwarder and you've paid them the shipping price who pays for those fees and, and at what point do you pay them
1: so typically the, the import taxes should always be paid at the point of entry or when the, when the goods arrive into the country. That's when, when the data gets submitted through the customs software and it will generate, this is the exact amount of VAT and, and duty to pay. Okay, So yeah, the, um, the import VAT duty becomes liable when the goods arrive into the country. And then in most cases, it'll, it will be a freight forwarder or a courier company So if the goods have come in with DHL or TNT, in most cases, it will be them that submit an import customs clearance on your behalf and will also then bill you the taxes. And they will then act generally as an intermediary between taking the money from you and then passing it along to HMRC. Yeah, we we like to try and keep it as simple for, for people as possible. There are lots of different ways in which you can pay HMRC in most cases a freight forwarder or a curry company just just kind of take care of it for you
0: okay that's good thank you because I think something that might people might be wondering is you know do I need to do lots of paperwork and that kind of thing so it's good to know that the freight forwarder will take care of all of that for you assuming of course that you'll need to give them all the required information
1: yeah that's basically it I mean all we all we really need is essentially what we should get is instructions from people on what data to submit to customs but really most of that data we will take from the the standard paperwork that's produced with the shipment you get a commercial invoice from your supplier you get a packing list maybe there's a transport document like an airway bill or a bill of lading and generally all the information we need should should be included on there but if there's any bits that we're missing uh, we'll, we'll generally prompt people and say oh we're just missing this piece of information that piece can you just confirm for us we can submit that to customs
0: perfect thank you one of the piece information i'm assuming well i know that you need because my very first shipment i didn't have this was an eori number and i didn't know that i didn't have it until my goods actually arrived in the uk so that was a bit of an issue so could you talk a little bit about what that is why you need it and how to get one please
1: yeah so the, the easiest way to think of it is just a bit like your it's like your customs id number it assigns a numerical number to identify you as a trader as an importer so that you that you you're authorized to import and export goods to and from the EU that will change when Brexit comes in so it will be a UK specifically exports and imports to the uk specifically but that's essentially all it is it's just a a customs id number but without it you cannot import or export goods because the the custom system just won't recognize you doesn't know who you are but the process for applying one is very straightforward it's just if you just googled gov eori application it's just an online an online form i think they say it takes about 10 minutes to complete and then maybe a couple of days generally to To allocate you a number and then that number is yours yours forever so it's just a case of filing it away somewhere and if you can if you can get it included on any sort of documentation that goes with the shipment that's also very helpful if someone is coming to do a customs declaration they've got they've got that information to hand they don't need to they don't need to ask you for it.
0: Perfect thank you and I will link to the um the the website where you apply for that in the show notes for this episode and in the blog post as well so if you're listening and you're realizing you need one you can very quickly find that and do it. So we've spoken a lot about the different shipping terms and sort of how and payments and how it all works so let's um talk a little bit if that's okay about the different shipping methods so the different modes of transport you can use to ship your products and um what the main differences are between them. You've got air, you've got rail, you've got sea, a few different options. And I just wondered, what's your thoughts on the main differences and things you need to consider?
1: Generally, you've got the choice between air and sea, if you're bringing stuff in from China. And typically, sea is slower and cheaper, air is quicker and more expensive. Rail was designed to be something in the middle, or was advertised as being something in the middle, where the transit time is kind of in between air and sea. And the cost is somewhere in in between air and sea. Personally, generally as a company, we don't offer any rail services. We just found it didn't really give people much value for money, that the costs were quite a lot more than sea, but the transit times were getting up to the same as sea anyway. So why pay so much more for something that's only a bit quicker? And it's had some other problems as well, and it will have more problems come Brexit with the customs and how they're going to get around that because the, the rail terminates in mainland Europe. and then it's how do we get that stuff from there to the UK after Brexit. So I'll, I'll not talk to, about rail too much, but, but sea freight is, is, is really the, the way to go, I think, for people, certainly long term, if you can find a way of managing your stock levels with the, with the lead times that sea offers. I'd say the quickest, the quickest we could get something door to door by sea. It's about 42 days, but that can, depending on which port it's coming out of in China, that can go up to sort of 55, 60. And at the moment, we are seeing lots of problems generally and delays even more than ever before, probably. So these transit times are actually only getting slower and the prices are increasing at the moment as well, unfortunately, due to quite a lot of problems. But the main one being sort of over-demand and under-supply is essentially what's driving that at the moment. Um, okay. And it's exactly the same with air. Air was always typically we could probably get your stuff door to door within seven to ten days, but now it might be more like two, two or three weeks. It just depends on what space is available at the time. And this is just a particularly bad time of year where we've got we've got the Christmas rush. We don't have the passenger aircraft that we are accustomed to having, where we would put most of the cargo onto passenger aircraft. So without that, we've seen the prices go up to levels that we've just not really seen before and even more so because of the time of year another option affiliated with air but we we tend to distinguish it by calling it courier and when we talk about courier we're just referring to someone like tnt or dhl or fedex now they will offer quicker services where maybe sort of three four five working days they could get the stuff door to door typically they're more expensive and they're really geared up for very small consignments A few boxes, not that much weight, sort of 50 kilograms total weight, 100 kilograms total weight. But it's just very difficult for us to keep on top of it at the moment as to what's really the best option and how much things will really cost because the prices have been changing and are changing across all modes of transport so quickly
0: thank you yeah so for context we are in case anyone's listening to this way in the future we're recording this on the 4th of november 2020 so not only is it run up to christmas but the uk is going into another lockdown and yeah there are very few passenger flights in and out so um the lead up to christmas is always a busy time for freight anyway generally you do see that it goes up but yeah this year in particular It's very different. Okay, so thank you for that. That is really useful. So let's say um, you're listening and you've got an idea of what shipping method you want to use, you know what terms you've got from your supplier. Is there anything else you need to know to get an accurate quote from a freight forwarder? So if you go to your freight forwarder and say, can you please quote me to send these products um, by sea, this is where they're going from, this is where they're going to, what else would a forwarder need to know?
1: I mean, the more information that we that we can be provided with, the better. The more accurate the information that we get, the more accurate the quote we can give. It's just a case of having a bit of patience at the moment that if we gave you a quote for something like an air freight today, maybe next week, that price might have changed. But generally, we will always look to honour the price where possible. But really, if we, if we know where the stuff's picking up from, where it's delivering to, and we know how many boxes there are, how many packages and their weights and dimensions that's really all we need it does help us though if people give us a bit more information like this is what my product is this is the value of it this is the commodity code cuz that then we could give you a bit more information really so we could say well based on that your insurance would be this much your import taxes will be about this much we could keep that sort of separate for you and we might be able to sort of give you a pointer and say ah just with you mentioning that type of product it would be worth checking a couple of extra things first the main thing we're looking for is are there any restrictions it can affect the price but also we don't want to give you a quote of no use to you so maybe someone tells us they've got 20 boxes to ship and these are the weights and dimensions we give them a price and we say we presume it's general cargo that it's unrestricted maybe they say okay i like the price can we can we go ahead and then we learn that the goods are um, something that contains, I don't know, batteries, or maybe it's something that might be a liquid that's considered restricted in China, or maybe something might be even considered ha- as hazardous goods. We then have to start the process again and say, okay, we we need to now check if we can ship these goods and what surcharges there may be for shipping that product. So it's better if we can get all that information at the very beginning, just as much information as as people have got really some people are sometimes a bit skeptical about telling us what what they're shipping they don't want us to know they want to keep the cards a bit closer to the chest which is 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 fine in most cases but we're really just wanting to know is there anything else we need to consider while we're sort of getting you some costs together sometimes we might need extra bits of documents from the your supplier and some in some cases I would even say, look, before we even start on this process, let's get our agents to talk to your supplier to make sure they've got the documents they need to ship these goods and that our, our agent can ship these goods to the to the UK for us before we start costing anything. Because otherwise it's it's just a waste of time and you, you go so far down the road only to find that actually all this work that we've done, it's all fallen through because, yes, maybe, yes, our agent can ship these goods, but maybe your supplier hasn't got the documentation that they need to be able to properly export these goods from China. And sometimes people get caught out by that, where our agent will say, OK, yeah, we can ship these goods, please provide X, Y and Z documents. And then the supplier says, I can't provide that. Or they do provide something, but maybe the document's invalid. Maybe it's out of date. Maybe they don't have a license or something that they need. Just things to iron out at the start of the process, so you just know exactly exactly what you're dealing with upfront. Otherwise, yeah, we would quote no problem, but it's 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 a proviso quote it's a we presume we we have to presume where we don't know for sure and if any of our presumptions are wrong then yeah of
0: course it sounds like the more information you can provide up front the you know the least likely the chances you've been disappointed along the line
1: yeah basically.
0: thank you i mean you've given us so much useful information so i can definitely see the benefits of using a freight forwarder like yourself rather than um arranging your shipping another way yeah i do know that there are lots of people who do you know leave it to their supplier for example to arrange the shipping that's something that seems to be fairly common um i mean you convinced me that that's not a good idea but what would is there anything further you want to say to that point around why it's best to work with a freight forwarder rather than letting your, your contact in china sort of arrange all the shipping um, for you
1: if you've got a good supplier and they're doing things properly there's no reason why you shouldn't use them to ship the goods but i do think it's always going to be beneficial to just have someone in, probably in the same country as you that you could speak to you could just pick up the phone and speak to them if you're if you've got a query you're unsure of anything and particularly not so much with the shipping but with the custom side of things what happens what happens if there's a a problem with the uh, with UK customs the goods arrive they get flagged for some reason or another there's there's something holding up that process and maybe it's something that's quite innocuous maybe it's a random spot check or something you now have to go back to your supplier who's in China to ask them to help resolve it or you don't have you don't have a contact in the uk necessarily that you can go to maybe there's an agent that's been assigned to handle your shipment when it arrives but you they don't know you you don't know them there's no trust there's no history and maybe they don't really have the time to answer your questions because it's not really their job to to talk you through that it's like a value-added service almost that a lot of freight forwarders will pride themselves on but not all and you just don't really want to be in a position where you don't have anywhere to go i mean even if it's just the uk customs side of things it's handy just to have someone i think who can help you through you know if you've got a problem or even if you've got a problem with a, a shipment that they've had nothing to do with if you've got some relationship with some freight forwarder that's in the uk you've got some at least somewhere you can go Literally just to speak to one. And in the worst scenarios where there may, maybe there are problems with customs and they're not so easy to resolve, it can cost people quite a lot of money. A lot of time probably is a given, but it, you don't want to be getting fines or essentially penalised for, for something being non-compliant. And the big one that can rack up on people is, is the storage charges. If While the stuff's stuck and of, there's a problem that's being resolved with some goods that have been imported into the country... While those goods are sat and unable to to be released or moved, someone's going to be clocking up extra costs somewhere. And typically they're quite expensive and they're designed to be so that it really prompts people to keep the freight moving in and out as, as quickly and as efficiently as, uh, as they can.
0: Hey, thank you. That's really reassuring. Okay, so I'm sort of really conscious of your time. So we've got just a few no, final no questions. Problem. And I've left this one till um, near the end because I know it won't apply to everyone. But many listeners are thinking of selling on Amazon and specifically Amazon FBA. Um, So I just wondered, given your experience, is there anything you think people need to be aware of if they're planning on shipping from, let's say, China? Because we've used that example um, so far. If they're shipping products from China into an Amazon FBA warehouse, is there anything that we need to be aware of?
1: Delivery to Amazon is something I would consider as as an extra that unless people tell us the goods are delivering to Amazon, we probably wouldn't consider it on a quote. But if people can say, "Look, these goods are going to Amazon," then there are there's extra costs associated with that. And,
0: and why is the, that?
1: The main thing is because we have to deliver in accordance with Amazon requirements. And it takes more time. There's just a bit more work involved. There's two ways, two main ways people deliver goods to Amazon. One is what Amazon referred to as SPD as a, a small parcel delivery. But that's very straightforward as long as you've got your Amazon labels on the box and you could just stick a freight label on it, a UPS freight label, and and in it goes, UPS will take care of that. But with the larger shipments, maybe or generally it becomes more cost effective to palletize those goods and deliver them in by what amazon call ltl which is a it's like a pallet delivery less than truckload but those have to be pre-booked with amazon amazon will allocate a time slot for that delivery the pallets have to be built to certain amazon specifications requirements and these where the there's these extra bits of restrictions there's basically extra bits of cost involved in in making sure that we can adhere to those to those requirements for Amazon so that we can deliver your, your goods in. What we're finding at the moment is Amazon can quite quickly change and move the, the goalposts on people where they say, okay, you can't deliver in from this day onwards now, or these products can't be delivered now, or this product can be delivered, but you're gonna, we're going to restrict the number of units you can deliver. A lot of people are coming up against this 200, 200 unit cap at the minute. So what they're having to do is split the goods at some point during transit, where they say, "Well, look, I've ordered a thousand units already, but I can only send two hundred units to Amazon." And unfortunately, there's extra there's extra costs in doing that as well, because if we if we now have to deliver to two locations and maybe we, there's different instructions for each delivery, look, we want to palletize these goods, but those we don't, and these are going there, these are going there. It's um, extra work, extra cost. But as long as I mean, the main thing is that we. No matter what the restriction is, we, we can work around it. It's, it's not getting the stuff delivered is, is never really a problem. It's just what costs are involved and how you decide is the best way forward for you. So some people have gone down the route of, well, I'd, I'll just find my own warehouse or my own fulfillment center, or I'll just have everything delivered to my home address. And then I will drip feed stuff myself to Amazon, or I'll get a ware an independent warehouse to to drip feed stuff to Amazon and do it that way instead. It's just really hard to know with Amazon sometimes what they're gonna what they're gonna throw at people, and with Christmas coming up, they'll have a they'll have a date whereby people can't deliver anything into them. I presume, although I'm not sure what date that might be.
0: Yeah, I don't think um, they've yet but, announced the cutoff, but yes, there will be a, definitely be a, a cut off. I mean, advice uh, I'd give as yeah. well is that if you're looking to ship to Amazon, it's a good idea to set your Amazon shipping plan up with Amazon so you let them know what's coming before your, if, if possible, before your shipment even leaves. The supplier. So, that if there is an issue where you want to deliver a, a thousand and they only they're only going to accept two hundred, you actually know that um because yes. I've seen the mistake before where things are perhaps on the way to the to the UK and someone's thinking, okay, they're going to come to my house and then I'm going to, sh-, you know, if they're going to go for my house out to Amazon, for example, not realizing that Amazon are only going to accept so many and um you're going to be stuck with a lot of stock for. You know the foreseeable future potentially
1: because quite quite a lot of the time when we when we quote for deliveries to Amazon, people don't know at that point which Amazon centre they need to deliver goods to. But then we also appreciate that maybe they've not created the shipping plan yet. But I guess once they do, they will then know at least what Amazon can take and and plan around that accordingly.
0: Yeah, so it sounds like the best thing to do is be to set up your Amazon shipping plan and then to let your freight forwarder know everything that you you know to give them all the information up front so they can quote you as accurately as possible and so that they've got an idea of, you know, what's going where.
1: Yeah, the, as long as we know I mean people we've got some shipments that are coming in at the moment and um, people have basically said well depending on how much stock I sell during shipment of this of these goods I don't I don't know where I'm going to be in 30 days time I don't know where I'm going to be in 40 days time so I, I don't know how much stuff I even want to deliver to Amazon We've said to them basically you, as long as you let us know before stuff arrives into the UK we, we can instruct the warehouse. What needs to be done with those goods so we can we can leave it quite late really to decide what exactly we're doing the only the only drawback to that is you don't know what the exact final cost will be because there's no final plan in place um, that's really until very late know. on
0: that's it that's you know that's really reassuring to know because I had no idea that a freight forwarder could be so flexible and um yeah I, I was thinking that you would need to know before your goods even left the supplier so that's really good to know that uh, you've got those you know the days that to be in transit to actually make a final decision on how many are going where so that's yeah so thank you for that i think people find that really reassuring
1: yeah as long as people appreciate that if we don't if we don't know the exact plan we don't know the exact cost you know we say then yeah it's 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 not a problem the delivery is always very flexible it's just with the amazon stuff if there's anything going to amazon if it needs to be labeled or if it needs to be palletized, we just need to know before that stuff comes out of the container what's happening. Otherwise, it's just not as straightforward to to get what you want actioned with these warehouses. What they'll do is they'll typically take all the, like, the boxes out of a container and they'll palletize them by default so that they can store them, move them, ship them easily. But they might not necessarily be to Amazon specification. If you then said, okay, well, could you now? undo that work and redo some work and the answer might actually even be no they say well now we've got an issue of liability where we don't want to deconstruct these pallets we'll have to t- deliver them somewhere as they are or maybe on the custom side it can become a, just a little bit more complex where we've told the custom system that it's just kind of one consignment and it's all going to go to one place and then we start saying well actually we're going to send some here some there these warehouses are under quite strict regulation where Because the stuff's been imported from outside the the European Union, it's not like they don't really act like a general warehouse where you could chop and change because they've now got customs controls. They have to abide by those. They have to be quite strict with who they release stuff to, how they release stuff. If they've sort of considered everything to be one consignment when it comes in, to then say, well, actually, I want to send some here, some there, some there, they might say, actually, this is... This isn't straightforward now. It's a bit of a mess because we now have to start undoing customs customs procedures that are sort of now set. So the key is really just as long as we know before that stuff's here in the country, it's really not a problem. After that, we can we can sort it, but it's just a bit of a problem.
0: That's good to know. Thank you. So I'm aware that we've gone way over time. Um, and I do want to be respectful of that. But have you got time for just one final question? Would that be okay? Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Okay, so we've, you've, you know, you've covered such a lot. You've been really generous with what you've shared with us. But is there is there anything else you'd want people to know if they are, you know, planning their, their say their first shipment roundabout now? Is there anything we haven't talked about that you think people should just be aware of
1: no I think I think those are the main things I want to try and keep it as simple as possible for people really so if people apply for the EORI number that's just something ticked off the list that they don't need to worry about and they can apply for that anytime I, I think approach I think approach a UK freight forwarder and at least way weigh, weigh up the shipping costs from both sides if, if you're asking your supplier to ship the goods they're only going to be appointing a Chinese freight forwarder And that Chinese freight forwarder will then dictate a UK freight forwarder, probably, to help bring the whole shipping together, uh, unless the goods are moving by uh, a courier company like a DHL. In that case, they take care of the whole thing door to door, really. But I think just wait up from both sides. If you can find a a UK freight forwarder that you could talk to and ask ask some questions if you've got any, because people always do, they have loads initially, then at least they will be able to point you in the right direction or help you potentially avoid some mistakes that you might make you know for your specific situation I, th- I think the other thing would be just to it's a huge plus of people can just check check what they're find out the commodity code of their goods and if they're not sure there is help available so that they can ascertain the right code but then they can they can also say look is there, is there anything else that I might need to be aware of for, if, for importing this product most things don't but no is is there something else? that I might need to get this stuff into the UK through UK customs. And also, of course, you then, you've got a, at least a bit more transparency over the, the import tax costs because you can just you can see clearly by educating yourself a little bit on these things, you can soon spot the, the suppliers that are perhaps a bit more scrupulous because if they, let's say, they quote you a DDP price and they say, look, it's £500, it's all of a sudden you could think, well, hang on, I'm paying £3,000 for this stuff. And if I'm paying 20% VAT on that, the import VAT alone should be £600. So something's not right. And it just raises a flag straight away that you could then pick them up on or follow it through and you go, okay, well, why, why are they quoting £500? What's, what's not right here it's
0: really helpful thank you and yeah I think a lot of what you've um, shared today will really help people to be a bit just a bit more informed when starting out and um, I assume you're open to questions if if off the back of this people want to contact you to find out a bit more whether it's for a quote or whether to just you know more general questions about their shipping
1: of course, of course. Yeah, any time, any questions or fire them through. People can come directly. I, I really don't mind. I, I just hope it has been helpful because there's, there's so much ground to cover and there's, you can go into so much depth on each of them. I don't want to overwhelm people. I mean, really, it's if people get the basics right, the rest should fall into place and should be quite straightforward. If you've got a good supplier and if you've got a good freight forwarder, the shipping aspect you can largely forget about, but you should still be... You should still be at least aware of what's going on and have some transparency o- over what's going on. And then, really, like if there are any problems, your supplier, your freight forwarder, just point you in the right direction, really, and help help you through. Yeah, it's in all of our interest too.
0: Well, thank you, and yeah, I think I hope, and I think we have struck the right level of you know providing enough information without making it too overwhelming. And I hope will include so. your contact details in the show notes for this episode so people can easily get in touch if they do have any questions about anything we've spoken about or even anything we haven't spoken about. So um thank you so much. I think that's been it's been a really valuable episode. In fact I've learned some things. I mean I've been doing this for a while, but I've still learned some things from you today. So I think that's really, really beneficial. And um and yeah, I hope this a I think this really would be a really useful episode.
1: Oh, I hope so. Thank you.
0: I really hope you enjoyed that conversation with Simon and myself and that you now feel a little bit clearer about shipping um, all the different options available to you, what the different terms mean and what you can do to ensure that your shipment goes really smoothly. Um, I would love, as always, to know what you think. You can send me an email at vicky at tinychipmunk.com and if you've got some time, I would really appreciate it if you could rate and review this podcast episode. So thank you so much um, and speak to you next week.